All right, well, good morning, church. Just want to let you know that two weeks from today, um, oh, come on, two weeks from today on the 21st, August 21st, will be our anniversary potluck. And we're going to do that Sunday a little different. Um, we're going to give you guys a chance to speak. So be prepared. We're going to give you a chance to stand up and maybe say something or uh, give some encouragement to the church and talk about maybe what the Lord's been doing in your life and uh, what he's done over the last year and uh, pass on, like I said, some encouragement to the body. Uh, so be thinking about that. If, if the Lord gives you something to say, if you, you're going to have an opportunity to say it. Uh, so that'll be in two weeks. Uh, anniversary potluck, August 21st. We'll have a short message as well, just, you know. But uh, we'll also give everyone an opportunity to, to, to get up and say a word or two about what's been going on and how the Lord's been working in their life. So just put that in your brain. It'll be a good time of uh, fellowship and, and fun as well as our anniversary potlucks are. So to this morning... We're talking about one of our most exciting topics that we can talk about, <laughs> circumcision. <laughs> and uh, circumcision is a cutting away of the flesh, both physically and spiritually. And uh, when you set yourself apart in Christ, when you give uh, your life to Jesus, with that comes a renewing of your mind, and with that comes a life change. And your life changes, and your lifestyle changes, and uh, you do things differently, and you start, uh, ding, you do things differently, <laughs> and you start cutting away the flesh. And uh, the sin you live in, you start cutting away. And you set yourself apart from the world, and you set yourself apart from the things of the world. Right? It tells us in 1 John chapter 2, it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And it also tells us in James 4, if you want to study this farther, friendship with the world means being an enemy to God. Right? So you can't, what it means is, is you can't follow Jesus and continue to deliberately and disobediently live in sin as if it's just normal, right? Regardless of the fact that it might be worldly accepted, regardless of the fact that everyone on the news is telling you that it's perfectly okay and acceptable, you can't just follow Jesus and continue to deliberately and disobediently live in sin. You are called to live a life set apart to God, live a life, right? Set apart to God to be holy as he is holy. That constitutes change. This is what we call our sanctification. It's a long process. But this is also our struggle. <clears throat> the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, as the Bible says. Right? As Paul lets us know, there's a war that you wage, and that war is between the spirit and the flesh. And you guys probably know this. All too well. But it tells us in Galatians 5.17, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to each other. And to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Right? As Paul also says, 
Right? He says, we continue to do what we do not want to do, and what we do want to do, we don't do. Our imperfections and our faults, however, are not excuses for us to keep sinning or to keep living in sin. The works of the flesh, they always seem good to us, right? They look good to us. They smell good to us. <clears throat> but they do not satisfy the Lord. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, it tells us in 2 Corinthians, he is a new creation, right? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Well, here's something you may not have known. Maybe you did. But when you have a new beginning, when you've given your life to Christ, guess what? You've been circumcised. You're like, I would have remembered that. <laughs> but it tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So having a life in Jesus means you've been circumcised. There's been a cutting away, and your life should show that. Let's read Genesis chapter 17, and we're going to read the whole chapter, even though some of it we may go over again next week as we tie it into 18. You'll probably understand what I'm talking about as we read through. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of, of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Verse 9, And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or, brought with your, or bought with your money, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who was born in your house and he who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. 
But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the word of your power. And we thank you for the fact that your promises are eternal and that you always see them through and that you always fulfill them. We thank you, Lord, for the strength that comes from that and the hope that comes from that. And we thank you for these words. And we pray, Lord, that you speak these to our heart, that your words be spoken. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So God shows up. I just lost my place. Luckily, it's easy to find. It's at the beginning of the Bible. God shows up to Abraham when he's 99 years old. It's been 13 years since basically the events that we went over last week in chapter 16. And God tells Abraham, the first thing he says to him is, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai is the Hebrew. And though most scholars can't agree exactly how it translates, we usually refer to it as just that, God Almighty, or the Almighty God. Right, it's used 48 times in the Old Testament. So why is God announcing himself this way to Abraham now? Right? I mean, he's been speaking to Abraham and appearing to Abraham since before Abraham even stepped into the land of Canaan. Abraham knows who God is. Abraham's had a relationship with God. God has given Abraham this covenant. He has made a covenant with him. He has promised him not only a son and an heir from his own flesh, right? But he's also promised him the land, the land of Canaan. You would think that maybe Abraham knows exactly who God is. He's been worshiping him, building altars to him, coming to the Lord with his doubts and with his issues and speaking to him, you would think that he knows exactly who God is. So why is God announcing him this way? Well, God is putting Abraham on notice. Because he's about to do something miraculous. He's about to do something powerful. So God's putting Abraham on notice. He's saying, listen, you've had your time. You've been growing in your faith. You're getting kind of spiritual. However, reminder, you're not dealing with a king from one of the surrounding nations. You're dealing with God Almighty, right? I am God Almighty. I am all-powerful and all-sufficient. I am going to fulfill my promise to you. I haven't forgotten. I know that I've given this... It's been almost 25 years since I gave you this promise, Get ready. Get ready. I'm going to fulfill it. Like we're, we're like a year away. 
God says, I'm going to come back this time next year and you're going to have a son. And right? His name's going to be Isaac and Sarah's going to give birth to him. Get ready. Right? Matter of fact, he's telling him in more ways than one, he's saying, get your flesh out of the way, Abraham. Cut it away. Right? Get on your knees. Worship me so that I can speak to you. Because with revelation comes responsibility. And if God is El Shaddai, if God is almighty, if God is all powerful, then who are we to resist God's will? Who are we to say no to God? Right? So he says, this is what I expect of you. Right? This is what I expect of you. Here's the first thing I expect of you. Be blameless. Right? Walk before me, it says, and be blameless. Now that seems like a large order right there, right? Walk before me and be blameless. Well, here's the thing. Be blameless does not mean be perfect as in sinless. Okay, that's not what it means here. It means whole, actually. That's what it means. It means whole in the Hebrew. As in God wants a total commitment from Abraham now. Not as if Abraham hadn't given him a total commitment yet. He wants a total commitment. He wants Abraham to walk in sincerity, fully devoted to the Lord, right? Now's the time, Abraham. Now's the time. Hebrews 4.13 puts it this way. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account, right? So he wants Abraham to live a life totally exposed to the eyes of God and fully accountable to God. I am God Almighty, Walk before me, be blameless. So the question also for this is, why would God bring this up now? I mean, Abraham is the father of faith. Abraham is the father of those who believe. He believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Why is God calling him out now? Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. Hasn't he been walking before God this entire time? Well, it would seem... And we learned this really in the last chapter. It would seem that Abraham has had moments where his devotion and his sincerity have waned, as we all have in our walk with the Lord, right? Because he handled that whole Hagar situation 13 years ago pretty poorly, right? But yet this should be an encouragement to us. Why would it be an encouragement to us? Because Abraham is the father of faith, right? Because Abraham is the father of all those who believe was he that's because he was perfect and sinless? No. No, he was not. Definitely not because of that, right? Because of his belief in the Lord and his belief in the promises of the Lord. That's why it was counted to him as righteousness, right? Faith is our trusting in God and our yielding to God. But having said that, and we can all testify to this, we have our moments where we do the exact opposite of that. Abraham has his moments where he did that too, specifically what we read about last week. Right? And so in light of what happened some 13 or 14 years ago with the whole Hagar situation, God says, listen, Abraham, I need you to give yourself to me completely. We can't have any more moments like that, really, is what he's saying. Right? So I want you to think about this for a second. Abraham is 99 years old. Okay? He was 75 years old when he entered the land. He was 85 years old when the whole Hagar ordeal went down. He was probably 86 when Ishmael was born. He's 99 now. Right? He's not getting any younger. 
So what's been going on in Abraham's life for the last 13 years? Has God communicated at all with him in the last 13 years? Probably. But is it possible that his faith and his obedience were going through a time of complacency? You know what I'm talking about? Those normal times of life that we all go through where we just don't hear from the Lord like we did, where it doesn't seem like God's speaking to us as much as he used to, but yet we're still trusting in him. We're still trying to walk in faith. It's just those normal times of life. You get up in the morning, you have your breakfast, you go to bed at night, you wake up and do it all over again. Just those normal in and out, 24-7 type of days that we live all the time. Right? Well, maybe... That during those type of days that he'd had for the last 13 years, he got sort of complacent. Not only that, but remember, the Lord had promised Abraham that he was going to have a son of his own, right? It wasn't going to be some slave that he had that was going to inherit, that was going to be his heir. It wasn't going to be Ishmael. It was going to, he was going to have a son through Sarah. Well, maybe over the last 13 years, Abraham was starting to forget the promise. He was growing in his relationship with Ishmael. He was loving his son for 13 years, watching him grow, being a father to him. Right? So was, God, was Abraham starting to doubt God's promises now? Well, I haven't seen it happen yet. I know he promised it. It's been almost 25 years since he said it, and now I have Ishmael, and Ishmael's, I love Ishmael. He's a great son. We go out and shoot the hoops, and we have a great time on the weekends, and I take him fishing, and I just love this kid. I just love this kid. Is it possible that Abraham, despite what he was told by the Lord previously, is it possible that Abraham feels that God forgot him? It's possible, right? Is it possible that Abraham had given up? Why do I say this? Because God reminds Abraham that he has not forgotten him. Right? God shows up and says, I am God Almighty. Right? Walk before me, be blameless. But then he starts going off and reminding him of everything that he had promised Abraham for the last 20, almost 25 years, right? Behold, my covenant, covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of the multitude of nations. I make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. And he just goes on, right? God reminds Abraham that he has not forgotten at all. Yes, it's been almost 25 years since I made the promise, but God's timing is different than your timing, right? You've been patient. Abraham, you need to remember that I have not forgotten, right? God didn't forget anything. Up to this time, up to this chapter, God has only used the word covenant with Abraham once in chapter 15. Now in the next 11...
All right, there we go, batteries back in. Sorry everyone online, technical difficulties, we replaced the batteries. Right, so God had only used the word covenant with him one time. That was back in chapter 15. But now, and he's going to use it 13 times in the next 11 verses to remind Abraham that he hadn't forgotten a thing about what he promised him. God, God refers to it as my covenant. He refers to it as an everlasting covenant. Right? The covenant was given by God through God, and God doesn't fail. God says, I will, 12 times in these verses. He doesn't say, you will. He doesn't say, you have to. He says, I will do these things, Abraham. Right? I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. Kings will come from you, he says. Right? I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring. I will give you all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. I will be their God, referring to his descendants, right? to Abraham's to those who are going to come from Abraham. I will bless Sarah. I will give you a son by her. I will establish my covenant with Isaac which is what your son's name is going to be. I named him for you, Abraham. Right? I will make Ishmael into a great nation. I mean, you get the picture. God will do what he says. But then in the midst of reminding Abraham about this, he also tells him this. You will no longer be known as Abram, but you shall now will be known as Abraham. Right? Your name meant exalted father or father of a multitude, but now it means father of many nations. You aren't just going to be a father of a large family, right? So you can hang that big 11 by 14 on the wall with you and Sarah in the middle and surrounded by all your kids and great, you know, grandkids and great grandkids and show it off to everybody who comes out. You're not just going to be a father of a large family. You're going to be a father of many nations, right? And then he also says the same thing about Sarah. He says, your name's no longer going to be Sarai, but now you're going to be known as Sarah. Now, both of these changes are really minuscule, really, between Abram and Abraham, Sarah, Sarai and Sarah. But, like, for example, Sarah, both, both names mean princess. That's what they think. Uh, but the subtle difference between the two names is very important. Sarai signifies uh, my lady or my princess, meaning Abraham could call her Sarai and he's referring to her as his princess. She's my princess. Right? But when God changes her name to Sarah, it signifies that she's a princess simply and absolutely without restriction or a princess of a multitude, which is what God tells her, right? She's going to be a princess of a multitude. Names mean something. They mean something to God, especially when, when God names people, <laughs> right? Like he's done with Isaac, like he's done with Ishmael, and like he's done with, you know, others down the line, with Jesus, of course. If you've ever done a study concerning names, it's funny how people grow up into a reflection of their name, even if they weren't aware of that when they were named, right? I mean, even if the parents weren't aware of that when they named their kids a certain name, that person grows up with the traits of that name. You got to be careful about what you name your kids, right? Like, you might be like, let's name him William after Grandpa Bill, 
right? And everyone's like, yeah, okay, let's name him William. Which, and, and William means strong-willed or stubborn, <laughs> right? And the kid grows up to be stubborn and strong-willed. <laughs> and you're like, why is he this way? Well, you named him William, right? I mean, that's what the name means. Choose your names carefully. Some people, like my wife, spend a lot of time choosing names. Right? A lot of research went into naming our kids. They weren't just chosen haphazardly, though you might think they were. She spent hours researching names, right? Dixon means Dick's son or son of Richard, right? His middle name is James, which is my grandfather's name, which comes from the Hebrew word Jacob, right? Which means heel catcher. Yeah, supplanter, but heel catcher. Hudson means son of Hud, right? And Hud is a diminutive form of Richard. So again, Hudson means son of Richard. You guys are getting the, the thread here, right? <laughs> Now, Richard means brave ruler or mighty ruler. It's often associated with king or lion, as in Richard the Lionheart, right? It's a lot to live up to. Maybe I should have named the kids something different. But Emily, which is the feminine version of the word Emil, uh, which is my middle name. You guys catching the thread that we're going through all the kids here? Um, and it's also uh, Hudson's middle name as well. Uh, means rival are wily and persuasive. Yes. Which she is, and he is. And then her middle name, Nicole, means victory for the people, which is also Julie's middle name. But it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. God is in the business of giving names and changing names, right? Saul slash Paul, Simon slash Peter, Abram slash Abraham, Sarai slash Sarah, etc. Jesus makes us what we're not. Because often we don't think that we can fulfill that or we can do that. But he comes in and says, no, I know you by this name. This is how you will be known. He makes us what we're not. He took Abraham and Sarah, who didn't think they were even going to have a kid, and says, you're going to be, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Sarah, you're going to be the princess of many nations. Because I am God Almighty. This is what I do. I change lives. I change names. I give names. Jesus makes us what we're not. Jesus takes emotional, brass, impulsive, rebellious, unstable, unstable people, and he turns them into fearless and faithful followers of God. When they do that, their life is changed, and often their name. Because God has a name for them. They may not know that name that God has for them, but when he gives them that name, they'll understand. God knew who they were. God knows your name. Right? And with this, the Lord reminds him, he reminds Abraham with this, with changing their names, he reminds them of the promise concerning their son, right? And he names their son for him, Isaac, which means laughter, right? And we know why he, he picked that name. Because one, Abraham laughed, and next week, as we'll see, Sarah laughed. We'll go over that next week, right? But you can see Abraham's response to the Lord when the Lord tells him all this in verse 17, not to jump ahead too far, but Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Right? So, so 
shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He fell on his face and laughed at what God said. Does that sound like a proper response to God Almighty? No, not really. But Abraham is not being blatantly rude or disingenuous. He's not being insincere. He's laughing at the ridiculousness of it all. Right? I'm going to be a father at 99 years old? That's crazy. Right? How can you not laugh at that idea? Right? However, we can see by his response, he was still having issues accepting it. And so, why do I say that? Well, look at what he says next in verse 18. He says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. What does that mean? Abraham is saying, Ishmael's fine. I'm fine with Ishmael. I'm, I'm perf- this is perfectly acceptable to me, Lord. This is a great kid. I love this boy. He's perfect. I've spent 13 years with him, raising him, loving him. He's perfectly, per- perfectly acceptable to me. Why, why won't Ishmael do? Why, why can't I just, why can't he be the son of promise? Why not Ishmael? Often we find it hard to trust God for something that we can't wrap our head around him actually doing. It just seems so ridiculous, so miraculous that we just cannot see it happening. So we can't wrap our head around it, so we have a hard time trusting that God is actually going to do that. Abraham's saying, Ishmael's fine. I just can't understand how I'm going to have a be a father at 100 and how Sarah's going to have a baby at 90. It's so miraculous. It's so hard for me to fathom. I just don't get it. Can't we just settle for Ishmael? You know what God's response to Abraham was? No. That was his response, right? Abraham, no. Here's the thing. God's plans for our lives are better than what we can fathom. We do not need to live a life of faith, settling for only what we can understand and conceive ourselves. Because often God works beyond what we can imagine. Because God performs miracles. He still does. He hasn't stopped. He's in the miracle business. So when God is preparing you for the future that he has for you, he's going to need you to let go of the past. He's going to need you to possibly... Cut away the flesh, which is what he's asking Abraham to do. Now, he's not just asking Abraham to do this physically, which he is, but he's also asking him to do it spiritually, right? God's ways are the best ways. Why should we settle for less? The interesting picture is here that when he tells him no concerning Ishmael, God is asking Abraham One, he's told him in verse 10, listen, this is the sign of the covenant between me and you. I want you to circumcise every male, every male born in your house and everyone that you purchased, so every slave that you have as well, every male in your tribe, every male in the Abraham nation, I want you to circumcise them. Eight days, right? If they're eight days old, circumcise them. But he's also asking them to circumcise Ishmael. And not just physically, which he did, but spiritually. He's saying, give me Ishmael. Cut Ishmael away. Ishmael is the flesh. 
He's not the son of the promise. Let go of Ishmael. That's what he's asking him to do. All right? Spiritually, he's saying, circumcise Ishmael. Galatians 4.23 tells us, but the son of the slave, Hagar, was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman, which is Sarah, was born through the promise. Ishmael was of the flesh, and God says, cut it away. Let go of it. Cut it away. In order for you to walk before me and be blameless, Abraham, for what I'm about to do, I need you to let go of Ishmael. That's what God calls of us. Right? God will call us in our lives to cut away things so that we can surrender that to God and continue to follow him. That's what he's asking him to do. See, circumcision is just symbolic. The covenant of circumcision that he gives Abraham here is just symbolic. It was commanded as a sign of the covenant, right? You must not follow the flesh if you're to follow God. Circumcision was a symbol of the cutting away of the flesh to pursue the things of God and, and to pursue the spirit of God and his working in your life. Abraham, or Ishmael, excuse me, would have been a problem if Abraham couldn't have let go of him. The act of circumcision itself means nothing. Circumcision did not make Abraham righteous before God. Paul goes over this in Romans chapter 4. Is this blessing only on the circumcised or also on the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. In what context was it credited, he says? Was it after his circumcision or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of the circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then he is the father of all who believe but are not circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. The unfortunate part of this, of course, is that many Jews did end up believing that the, uh, they began to trust more in the actual sign of the covenant, right, the circumcision, than in the God of the covenant. Right? They believed that circumcision was needed for salvation. Right? They believed that circumcision in and of itself was sufficient and necessary to save. When the gospel was brought to the Gentiles, this became a problem, of course, because the Christian Jews wanted all the Gentiles to be circumcised. And this, of course, we've gone through when we went through Acts, and Paul refutes the idea, of course, and, and he fought for the Gentiles having not to be circumcised. And we see this in Acts chapter 15, and they passed the whole law, or whatever you want to call it, saying Gentiles didn't have to be circumcised, right? Because as it tells us in Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Or as it tells us in 1 Corinthians 7, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. It was just an outwardly sign of an inwardly change, kind of like baptism for us. Baptism in and of itself means nothing. It's just an outwardly sign of an inwardly change in your relationship with Jesus. You get baptized because of your love for Jesus and you want to show right, your old self being washed away and your new self being born again. But whether or not you get baptized or you don't has nothing to do with your salvation. It's a change of heart. It's a circumcision of the heart. 
that God's looking for. And that's what he was looking for in Abraham. That's why he showed up and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I'm looking for your heart to change now, Abraham. In order for that to, in order for it to happen, I need you to not only be, be circumcised, I want a sign from you, but I need you to let go of Ishmael too. We'll, we'll see how that turns out later. Listen, this is not just a New Testament idea. Some people were like, well, that's just a New Testament thing. It came with when they started bringing the gospel to the, the Gentiles, right? It's not just a New Testament idea. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. God wants to circumcise your heart. That's what he wants to do. And your heart's been circumcised through Christ. It tells us in Romans 2, 28 and 29, Paul talks about this. He says, for no one is a Jew who is one, who is merely one outwardly, nor is uh, circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Right? It can't be something external. It can't be something that you've done in the flesh because that's what circumcision is referred to as is as an act of the flesh. That's not what really makes you a Jew, is what Paul writes in Romans. It's the circumcision of the heart. It's your relationship with God, how he's changed your heart. It means have a pure heart separated unto God. That's what he's asking for. Abraham was becoming a great man of faith. But you don't make a great man of faith overnight. It takes years of God's work to make a great man of faith. Abraham had to trust God during the mundane times, which is possibly the last 13 years, as well as during the times when he had spectacular encounters with God. He's going to have another one next chapter. He had to trust God when what God asked of him seemed unfathomable and incomprehensible. I can't, I can't wrap my head around this. Right? When it seems ridiculous, when it seems insurmountable, he had to trust God. How do you trust God in those situations? When you've given your heart completely over to God. When there's been a circumcision of the heart. For we are the circumcision, as it tells us in Philippians, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. If he had allowed Ishmael to be the son of promise, that would have put confidence in the flesh for Abraham. Because he did that on his own. But you have to put no confidence in the flesh. And Abraham, after God tells him all this, after God reminds him of all the promises, after God reaffirms his covenant with him, after God declares who he is, I am God Almighty, this is what I want you to do, Abraham. What does Abraham do? He snaps right to attention. He immediately and promptly, and you could say even daringly, because it was daring to circumcise every male in your camp all at once. Because you went from being able to defend yourself to not being able to defend yourself at all. For however long it was going to take on everyone to heal, right? He promptly did it, though. It was complete obedience. Abraham just snapped right to attention and said, yes, Lord. This was Abraham's faith on full display here. Yes, Lord. And he just did it. 
Abraham didn't need to pray about this, right? He didn't need to meditate on it. He didn't need to build up the courage. God said it. He did it. It was that simple. This is a wonderful example of obedience from a great man of faith, an example for all of us to follow. Whatever God asks of us, do it. Whatever God asks of you, do it. Just do it. Let me repeat some of what I started with because I gave you the application up front. I'm going to give it to you again at the end. Cut away the flesh. The sin that you live in, that you struggle with, cut it away. Set yourself apart from the world and the things of the world. Right? Do not love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Like I said, the works of the flesh always seem good to us. They look good, they smell good, but they do not satisfy the Lord. Remember, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, right? The old has passed away, the new has come. Who do we serve? We serve God Almighty, who upholds the universe by the word of his power and changes things, lives, names, by the power of his word. So whatever God asks, do it. Amen?